So today we're talking about money and about greed. So if anyone wants to leave now, feel free. And I think back on my years of pastoring, my years of being in small groups, of being in accountability groups with people. And I think of all the different times people have shared about struggles they're having and all the different issues they've been facing. Strange thing is, I can't recall a time when somebody came to me and said, Pastor, I'm really having a problem with greed. People will come, they'll talk about maybe a struggle with anger, a struggle with lust, a struggle with unforgiveness, all kinds of, you know, they can't pray, they can't do anything. But nobody said, Pastor, I just, I just want too much stuff. And not just as a pastor, but do you think even in small groups or little groups we've had of people and they're sharing about the struggles and it's never greed. And I wonder why that is. But Jesus certainly talked about money a lot. He certainly saw it as a struggle that we face. And so we're going to consider his words today and what they have to do with this and who Jesus is talking to. So we're in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus is giving what we know as the Sermon on the Mount. He's gathered his followers, these people that he's been traveling around. He's touched people. He's healed people. He's called fishermen and others to gather around him to hear his words. And he's been proclaiming the goodness of the kingdom of God and what that looks like and what it looks like to live into kingdom life. And so here he is sharing about that. And he's taught them about hypocrisy. He's talking, taught them about the value of transforming and changing their hearts about who's blessed and then he turns and he begins to talk about their possessions. And he uses three metaphors. He uses a metaphor of treasures. He talks about eyes and he talks about masters. All different ways to consider how we view our possessions. How we look at the things we own and the things that we have. First of all, I want to make a note to pay attention that this isn't about how much we have. It's not about how much we have. Remember this crowd that he's gathered around and who he's talking to? They're fishermen. They're the poor. These, and here he is talking about the need for greed because we often associate greed with people who have a lot. But greed doesn't simply affect one income level. In my years, I've met people who have lots of wealth, lots of money, lots of resources, and not a touch of greed in them. They're generous and giving. I've met people with almost nothing who are consumed by greed. And I've had the opposite. People I know with lots of wealth, and you can see they just want more and more and more, and they're cling to those possessions, whereas others who have very little are content and no desire for more possessions. So we want to pay attention as we listen to this that we shouldn't stop and say, well, I don't have a whole lot. That's not my problem. Or I have a lot. That's not my problem. It's not about how much we have. It's about how we understand and how we relate to our possessions. And so he begins and he says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. And he begins by talking about treasures. And treasure may evoke for us an image of piles of gold or you know, the old comics of Scrooge McDuck or whatever, you know, just piles and piles of money and you're jumping into those piles of money. But treasures can be lots of things. It can be something we hold to, something we cling to. It can be something simple. Think of a child and a stuffed animal. That treasure, that thing that you turn around and drive two hours back because there's that thing that they're missing. Victims in the concentration camps during World War II would sometimes just have a thread or a tiny little thing in their pocket that they clung to, they held on to. 
It might be a house, it may be a car, it may be a dream that we have, but treasures are those things that we hold on to and begin to think about. And treasures, like the old idea of, some places old trash and treasure sales. Because why one person's trash is another person's treasure, and sometimes one person's treasure is another person's trash. And we look at those things that we have. And so Jesus is talking about this, and what he's talking about treasures And he's getting at them because treasures can often serve as idols to us. Paul talks about this in the letter to the Colossians, in Colossians 3, verse 5, where he talks about, you know, ridding ourselves of anger, sexual immorality. And then he says, greed, which is idolatry. And how is greed, how are treasures idolatry? Because what is an idol? An idol is a replacement for God. And a replacement for God is something that gives us meaning or gives us security. And so when Jesus is talking about treasures, he's talking about those things that we hold on to, those things that we have, those possessions that begin to try and give us security. We think if we just have that, we'll be okay. If my 401k is just at this level, my retirement is just at this right, I'll be secure for the future. If I could just have this car, if I could just have this job, if I could just have these clothes, if I could just own that pair of shoes, then I'd feel content and I'd be happy with life. And so when Jesus is talking about treasures, that's the kind of things that he's talking about. And so one of the things that we have to begin to do as we consider this idea of treasures is begin to ask ourselves the deeper questions. Because sometimes we look and we say, oh, that's my treasure. That's the thing that I tend to have. But ask a deeper question and say, why does that thing matter to me? If you're sitting there and you say, if I, if I just get that job, then I'll be content. God, just let me have that job and I'll be content. I won't ask for anything else. And then you have to ask yourself, why is it that that job matters? What is it in that role? What is it is in that, that position? Or what is it in that vacation? What is it in that object that you belong to own? What is it that's going down? What's going down inside your soul? Because sometimes we stop and say, oh, it's about this. And what God asks us to do is to ask ourselves why. What's going on deeper inside of us? And so Glenn Stassen says it this way. He says, the foolishness of treasuring up treasures. And that's his way of translating that, of storing up treasures, which is really a great way. The foolishness of treasuring up treasures comes when I invest treasures with the expectation that they will give me a sense of fulfillment, of being a worthy person, of being respected and appreciated by somebody important in my imagination or memory. So he says, when I invest treasures with the expectation that they will give me a sense of fulfillment, of being a worthy person, of being respected and appreciated. That's the trouble when it comes, when we find a treasure, it's not about having the treasures. Jesus doesn't say, don't have anything. Jesus doesn't say, it's not okay to have treasures. He said, When it's a problem is when you begin to treasure those up, when you begin to store those up, when you begin to cling to those and to hold on to them. He's not saying no possessions. What he's talking about is our relationship to them. And so what I would say is we don't need to get overly focused on the things, but start to think of them as how they provide happiness. I mean, certainly some things we have do make us feel more secure. If we have a little money in the checking account or a little bit in the savings account, we'd feel a little more secure to be sure. If we have a job, if we have a house to live in, if we have a place to stay in, if we have some food in our cupboard, 
we feel a little more secure. But what he's talking about is when we cling to those, when we depend on those, absolutely. And he says, why? Why not treasure those up? Why not depend on those? Well, because moth and vermin destroy and thieves break in and steal. Martin Luther talks about the three trustees of mammon or of possessions, rust, moths, and thieves. How many of you have had something that lasts forever? You buy something with a lifetime warranty? It lasts for the lifetime of the product, right? I mean, everything we have, we try and hold on to things, and we, we put things in. I was thinking about the fact that we're moths. Where do you end up with moths? In your closet, though, right? I mean, when, you wear, when you're storing things away, when you're... Cl- and so there's this sense of when we're storing things up, when we're holding on to them, they tend to decay. And even things that we think will last a long time, nothing lasts forever. And so that's what Jesus is getting at, is this idea of, We're clinging to possessions, we're clinging to things, we're putting our hope, we're putting our security in things that simply don't last. Even our dreams, even ideas, they are things that fall away. And so Jesus goes on and says, there's another kind of treasure. He says, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And so what are these treasures in heaven that he's talking about? What are the things that last? And I think he's talking about God who is eternal. And he's talking about people. He's talking about people and he's saying that these are the things we are to value. That our love for God, our love for others, our relationship to God and others are the things that matter. And so we're storing up treasures by focusing on our relationship with God and the love we extend to other people. We've been singing that song for the last few weeks um, about Christ alone. He says, and this and ever we confess, Christ our hope in life and in death. And sometimes as Christians, we tend to focus on that death part. That like when we die, we have our hope in Jesus that we're going to be resurrected and live for, forever. But the song reminds us that Christ is also our hope in life. And this is what Jesus is getting at. He's saying, where is our hope in life? What are we clinging to? What are we longing for? What are we looking to for security and assurance in life? Is it things of this world or is it Jesus? So he says, why does this matter? He goes on, he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's Matthew 6, 24, or sorry, 21. Notice the sequence that he says. The heart follows what we treasure. So Jesus is concerned about our affection. He knows that our affection will follow what, our, what we treasure. And so Glenn Stassen, again, he says it this way. God wants your heart, not only your money. But Jesus is a realist. Your heart tends to follow your money. In other words, what we cling to tends to follow. If we have our heart in something else, our heart tends to follow it. And we can see this in part in some things in if you invest your money, your, you work hard and you save up to buy a new car, a new boat, a vacation home, or, or some maybe just a book you've really wanted, a jacket you really want, an education that you're saving for. When you've invested and when you've saved up money and invested in something, do you just go out and you say, say it's a new car? And so I'm thinking back in 
1993, I'd been stationed overseas in Korea for three years. When I left Korea, the car I had had was a 1971 AMC Matador, this big brown station wagon. That was my first car. When I left for Korea, I knew I was going to be gone a long time, so I gave my car to my brother. And when I got back, I decided I'm going to buy a new car. Not just, you know, a used car, but a new car. And so I went out and I shopped and I bought this Ford Explorer. They were kind of fairly new at this time. They'd just come out the year before and I bought, went down to the local Ford dealer, bought this new car. And I remember it sitting out in my parents' driveway and as I was staying with them in between duty stations, I'd come back from Korea and was waiting for my next assignment. And every once in a while, I'd just look out the window. Ah, oh, there it is. There's my car. Washed it every week. Waxed it once a month. Took good care of it. I invested a lot of time in that. Why? Because I had poured my money into it. And that's what happens. And that's what Jesus is getting at here is where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Because I had saved up my money and I invested this money in this car, I wanted to protect it. I wanted to keep it. I wanted to watch over it. And that's what Jesus is getting at here is when we invest in earthly things, our heart tends to follow because we think, I've put all this time into this. I've put all this money into this. I've got to watch over it. I can't protect it. Oh my gosh, it has a scratch. <laughs> and notice how that works where our heart follows our treasure. And so what Jesus is saying and what he implies in sense is where we put our treasure, our heart's going to follow. And so if we put our treasure, if we put our time, if we put our resources into people and into God, our heart will follow it. So if we invest in something like people, so I know a number of you sponsor children through compassion or maybe through world vision, and you sponsor those children, and we have a child we sponsor, we get these updates and stuff, and we send every money, we send money to support this young little girl. Our heart follows that. Because we're investing in her and we're wanting to know how her life is doing. And beyond not only knowing how her life is doing, we're looking and saying, well, how can we make a difference in the world? What are the governmental policies? What are the things that are affecting her life? Or maybe I'm investing in my local neighbor. You're buying cake mixes and giving them for people in Muskegon. And then you're starting to wonder, why is it that there are people who need a Thanksgiving meal provided? What's going on in their lives? How else can I care for them? You see how your heart follows your treasure. As I begin to invest in people and in their lives and wonder how I can change poverty, how I can change crime, how I can change the things that are going on around me. As I invest my time and my money in that, my heart follows that. As I invest my time and my resources in God's kingdom, my heart follows that. But if I invest my time and my resources in the things of this world, my heart follows that. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. He doesn't say where your heart is, there your treasure will be. He doesn't say, well, follow Jesus, your heart's going to, you know, your treasure's going to follow. But he's saying, when you put your money, when you put your time, your resources, your hope, your security in God, when you put your time and your resources into people, your heart's going to follow that. And then he goes on and uses a second metaphor. Verse 22, the eye of the lamp, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are not healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? 
a strange metaphor. It's a difficult one, and it's a little debate as to exactly what it means. But I think what Jesus is getting at is, how do we look at the world? How do we see the things around us? Do you look around and do you see the things of this world as only temporary? Or do your eyes see them as of great value, as of security? Because when we begin to see the things of this world as our security, as our thing, then our eyes become dark and our hands become closed. And then he finishes with the last one. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And if you grew up maybe using the old, the King James, it says you, may not, you cannot serve both God and mammon. And, and it's a great picture because I think it's really a better way to translate it because money here serves not, we think of money simply as cash or our debit card or whatever we use, Venmo, PayPal. But he's talking about Money, as we said, God and money. Well, it's like, well, how can I serve a $20 bill? He's talking about mammon. Mammon as serves that money, that resources, that wealth can serve as a God of kind. Kind of like we talked about earlier, how it becomes our security, our sense of hope. And so it's a really better way that money is not simply a physical object. Money can become a power. And he says, you can't serve both. You can't serve two masters. That mammon is this God that provides hope and security. Remember a number of years ago, seeing a billboard advertising a casino. They kind of had this sad face and happy face. And it talked about it. And the idea was like, this is what a person looks like. And they think the line was something like, I came on a bus and I left in a new car. And this picture of like, wow, and I'm happy because now I have this new car. What the billboard didn't, didn't tell you was all the people who came in a car and ended up leaving on a bus. But what is it that draws people? Now, last week there was a what, lottery in California that went in the, over a billion dollars, which is just crazy. But it meant that there were that many tickets being sold. That that many people were going out and buying ticket after ticket. And why is it that they buy tickets? Is it just for fun? It was like, oh, this is fun buying a lottery ticket. Why do people buy lottery tickets most of the time? It's a sense of hope, right? If I, just, if I can just win the lottery, then, then life will be better, right? If I can just win, then, then, I'll, then my problems will go away. And it's this sense of what? A sense of hope that's held up in that. And what I've often talked about, the same with casinos, is that I think it's possible maybe to go to a casino and just like you, you like to play the games. You like to do those things. But I would encourage us also to examine those kinds of things say, what's going on in my heart? Am I just thinking, well, if I, if I could just win, though, I, then I could have... And sometimes we like to do it, and we think we're altruistic. If I won the lottery, I can think of all those charities I could support. And we like to be generous about it. It's like, oh, I'd give away all this money, and I'd, I'd start this endowment, I'd start to do this thing. But there's still that sense of, well, and I might buy myself a new house, too. And I could pay off those bills. But in all those things, it's this looking to money for a sense of security. There was a study done a number of years ago, and they asked people at different income levels, kind of how much money would be enough? Just a little bit more. At every level, if somebody was making $50,000 a year, if I, if I could just make $60,000 a year, they're making 20, if I could just make $30,000 a year, they're making $250,000 a year, just a little bit more, if I could make three, and it's always just a little bit more. Why? Because we think just a little bit more 
Well, what would just a little bit more? It would provide that sense of security, that sense of peace, that sense of... And what Jesus is getting at is here, it doesn't work, Jesus says, because moth and rust and thieves destroy whatever it is you have will not last unless it's Jesus. And so Jesus is saying, put your hope, put your security in the one thing that will last, and that's him. That nothing else will do it. And so what, as we think about it, a couple different ways we can think about it as we begin to come to a conclusion. You know, one is we need to avoid the delusion, the illusion that we can serve both God and money. And Jesus is absolutely clear, you can't do both. You think, well, you know, maybe I could serve God a little bit and then just money a little bit. You say, no. It's one or the other. Because our hope can only be and our hope has to be in only just one place. He's saying the opposite of greed is someone who treasures people more than money. Is generous and lets God make the decision. So he's calling us to reshape our hearts and to be generous. And greed is one of those sins in particular that it's easy to see in other people. That's true of most sins, right? We tend to see it in other people more. But it's something we often miss inside of ourselves because it is subtle. There's another place where Jesus talks about, he says, watch out for all kinds of greed. It's like, watch out. It sounds like something you say, like, well, watch out for that bump there so you don't trip over it. Why do we need to? He doesn't say that about any other sins. Watch out for it because it's something that sneaks up on it. It's something that's so hidden. It's something that's so unobserved. And so what we need to do is be constantly asking God to help us examine our hearts and say, what are those things that I'm clinging to? And it may not be large. It may not be small. Greed, when he's talking about it, when he's talking about storing up treasures on earth, it doesn't have to be a huge thing. We think, oh, well, I don't have a big house. But is there some object, some thing you have, something you do even? Some dream you have, some hope you have. It could be your job. It could be a title. It could be lots of different things that you're hanging on to and saying, this is where I'm putting my hope. This is where I'm putting my security. And so Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this. He says, how do I know what my heart is clinging to? How do I know what this is? He says it this way. He says, everything which keeps you from loving God above all things, everything which gets between you and your obedience to Jesus is the treasure to which your heart clings. Everything which gets between you and your obedience to Jesus is the treasure to which your heart clings. Remember a number of years ago during one of the financial crises, I was listening to an interview with a man and he talked about his faith and his trust in God. But as the housing market went into a tailspin, he realized that he was underwater on his mortgage. That he owed more than the house was worth and he was having struggles because of what was going on that he couldn't make the mortgage payments anymore. And at the end, he said, I'm just going to walk away from this. And as he talked about it, he talked about the way that he made his decision. And essentially, was, he was saying, well, I've just got to watch out for myself. And he shaped it. He formed his answer, his response in the sense of like, well, I know Jesus calls me to do this, but right now I need to take care of myself. 
So I come back to Bonhoeffer. He says, everything which gets between you and your obedience to Jesus is the treasure to which your heart clings. Maybe it's the hope of a college scholarship, the championship game, the car, the job, all these things that sometimes those things get in our way because we think, oh, if I could just get that. But Jesus calls us to the obedience to hear him. And so what we are invited to ask ourselves is, is there something that's getting in the way between me and my obedience to Jesus? I had a friend in Sheboygan who was um, working, and he was working at a, a hotel chain in the nearby town. And I knew he had this job, and then one day I walked into the local, like, mini-mart, a little, um, attached to a gas station where they sell slices of pizza and sandwiches and stuff, and I saw him behind the counter. I said, well, what are you doing here? And he said, well, he said, my boss was asking me to do things. He was asking me to change some figures of the books. He was asking me to change some things, and he said, I just couldn't do that. So he went from what I think was a pretty good job to making sandwiches at the local gas station. And see, I think what he was exhibiting, what he was exemplifying was exactly this thing, that everything that gets between you and your obedience to Jesus is the treasure to which your heart belongs. He could have justified and said, well, but I need this. I've got a wife. I've got a new baby. I've got all these things I've got to provide for. He could have said, I'll keep that job and I, just for this time because I need to provide for my family. But what he said, no, what I need to do right now is to listen to Jesus and do what he calls me to do. So how do we break greed in our life when we realize that it's going on? One way is to give it away. Give stuff away. Richard Foster talks in his book on simplicity where he had a, a swing set that his kids had used and the kids had outgrown it and he was getting ready to give it away. He said, well, I can sell this and get some money out of it. And he realized what was going on in his heart was this clinging to things. So he said, I'm just going to give it away. Now, I'm not saying that that's always right. Sometimes it's appropriate to sell things, to earn the money. To, but what we need to say is what sometimes we can do is if we just simply take things and instead of trying to get more out of them, or if there's something that we have and we just keep looking at that, we, we're clinging to it, holding to it, say, I'm just going to give it away. Why? Because in the end, which matters more, whatever that thing is or Jesus? And so if we need to break the cycle, break whatever that hold is on us, we just need to say, I just need to give it away. I just need to be done with it because it's got a hold on my heart. Jesus knows that your life will be better if you're not clinging to stuff, if you're not clinging to things, if you're not worried about protecting and holding on to these things. Because if we're not worried and focused on holding on to the things of this world, we can focus on what matters, which is the things of Jesus. We can better use our time. We can better use our money. And so he invites us to keep greed from getting a hold on our hearts. And ultimately, that comes by deciding to put our hope in Jesus, not our hope in things. So this, now and forever, we confess. Christ, our hope in life and in death. Amen.